You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. I hope that you had an amazing Thanksgiving. Um, we're going to be all over the Bible this morning, so I, I'm not going to tell you where to turn. Uh, you'll just have to guess with me, I guess. Um, uh, part of, you'll, you'll see why in just a moment. But um, I, I want to quickly, as we kind of dive into the last week of this Screens sermon series, I, I wanted to kind of recap and, and make sure that we're all kind of in, in the same boat, proverbially, proverbially, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, week one, we, we talked about how screens can't replace community, right? That they can help us connect with people. That There are great attributes that screens give us in order to see people overseas or someone who lives far away or even to meet new friends. I mean, there, there are probably couples in this room that met through online dating, through some version of a screen. And, and glory be to God what he's given us through these screens. But... What we talked about in week one is that a screen in and of itself can't replace real community. It can't give you a hug. It, it can't be there when you're, when you're down and when you're out. It, it's, it's, just, it's just a device. And so week one, we talked about really what we need to do in order to follow in what God has called us to do is to have real community. And then week two, we kind of dove into this idea that the, the screens are not necessarily inherently bad, right? It's just a screen. Now, we can use that screen, and, and we can use it in a very poor way that doesn't point people back to the gospel, or we can use screens in such a way that it engages people that they go, wow, that person loves Jesus. Why? Why do they love Jesus? Who is this Jesus person? And the screen can be a tool that we use rather than the tool using us. And then in week three, last week, how many of you, well, don't raise your hand because I'll hurt my feelings, but we challenged you to do a screens fast. I spoke with one person in our church yesterday. You'll get to hear their story later in the week. Uh, but, man, she heard a voice from God in that moment. God showed up by her fasting from screens. And truthfully, I think she wasn't really expecting anything, which, you know, I don't know if you've ever done a fast before. I don't always go into fasting going, wow, man, it's God, God's about to show up. Sometimes I just do it because I'm like, I need an answer, and I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to do this. But she gave me her testimony yesterday about how God showed up in a big way. And what we found out in week three— is that sometimes we need to make sure that our screens are put in check. Like we need to make sure that we rule over them rather than them ruling over us. And now when we move into week four, I was really debating and, and praying and spending some time in scripture of like, what, what do we talk about now with screens? As I end this series, we look towards Christmas, what do we look to? And, and the one thing that kept popping in my mind uh, it's an abstract thing that, truthfully, I can't cover in a sermon. And so I'm going to quick, quickly hit it. I'm going to give you some resources to find some other places to answer the question. But it's the answer of what can or can't Christians watch on a screen? And, and maybe an, another way to say it is what should Christians or what shouldn't Christians watch on a screen? You know, I, I think for historical Christianity, if you look at the great thinkers of the, the days— there were always kind of the pendulums would swing, right? There were these thought people that would, so, that would say, hey, if you're a Christ follower, you are to be a city on a hill. You are set apart. You are holy, royal priesthood. And so you should have nothing to do with pop culture, right? 
It doesn't matter if it's the thousands. It doesn't matter if it's year 500. It doesn't matter if it's today. There are Christians today that would say you should not engage in pop culture. And so when you talk about the screens, that means you shouldn't watch these things. You shouldn't do these things. You shouldn't go to the movies. You should get rid of your Netflix account and only have pure flicks, right? There are Christians that out there that would say that. Now, there are others in the world that would say, look, as Christ followers, we need to kind of be all things to all men so that we might win some, right? They'll, they'll quote this passage from Paul, and they'll say, hey, in order for us to truly engage with people, like this, this is prevalent in y'all's world, right? As a youth pastor and, and in youth ministry, I was constantly listening and watching to movies just so that I could kind of know where our students were. Just so that I could kind of, what's the music they listen to? What's the things that they're watching? What's, what's their world? And then I don't think it changes much in adulthood, right? We, we go, ah, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to be engaged. But at what point is our engagement with whatever we're doing so that we can be engaged for the gospel begin to corrupt our life? I, I read a quote in my studies for this series. It was by a guy named Andy Crouch. I've, I've mentioned him several times. He has a book uh, called The TechWise Family. And at first glance, this quote is going to read as if something I've said in a previous week, but I want you to really lean in and notice what he's saying about the separation of culture and, and, and Christianity and where we should find ourselves. He says this, I wonder what we Christians are known for in the world outside our churches. Are we known as critics Consumers, copiers, or condemners of culture? I'm afraid so. Why aren't we known as cultivators? Notice his alliteration. He's really good at it. Why aren't we known as cultivators? People who tend and nourish what is best in human culture. Who do the hard and painstaking work to preserve the best of what people before us have done. Why aren't we known as creators, people who dare to think and do something that has never been thought or done before, something that makes the world more welcoming and thrilling and beautiful? So what Andy's getting at there is, is this, this tension. I, I remember preaching to a youth group, it was, man, it was probably 10 years ago, and uh, you know that song by Run DMC and Aerosmith, Aerosmith like, Walk This Way? Raise your hand, come on. There we go. Okay, cool. So I, I use this, this song as an illustration. Uh, it probably went right over the, the students' heads, but I think at that point, there was kind of a, a, you know, a, a revitalization of the song, so to speak. And so they knew the song, and I talked about, you know, you can't just talk about Jesus, you have to walk about Jesus kind of deal. Well, I had a family pull me aside, and they just killed me for three hours. How could you use this song in your sermon? How could you ever do this and do that? Do you know what that song talks about? And yada, 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 just on and on and on for three, I'm not lying, three hours, right? Pulled me out of a Sunday night dinner at the church and just, I, I had no rear end when we were done. Like it was over, right? And I left that conversation really hurt for them. It didn't bother me that they chewed me out. I've been chewed out plenty of times, and, you know, that wasn't the first, and it certainly wasn't the last. But I, I left that situation going, you know, they, they, they have taken this view of all or nothing. They've kind of taken this view where, man, if you engage with pop culture at all, you know, as Bobby Boucher says, like, it's of the devil. Like, that's just how it works. And I wonder if, as Christians, it has to be this way. I wonder if it's, okay, cancel your 
Netflix and only get pure flicks, or on the other side, if it's totally indulge in movies and, and, and TV like Game of Thrones and Euphoria and Yellowstone and Ozark, like, is there kind of a middle point? And, and, and I'm just here to tell you, if you're here hoping to get an answer of like black and white, you can do this, you can't do that, you're not going to get that. Just warn you. And here's the reality. I don't think the Bible gives it to you. So it's not me just kind of trying to stay this line so I don't offend some of you. Because if you know me well enough, I, I care about your feelings. But if the Bible says it, I'm going to say it. So, um, but I, I do think there are, there are two places where we can get to the answer uh, of the question of like what should or shouldn't we watch. And, and the two things are we need to understand what a conscience is in our conscience. And the second thing is we need to understand where does the road lead. So when I consume the content, where does the road lead and what does my conscience say? So I want to start off by the conscience because that's the thing that in about 10 minutes, I'm not going to be able to give you the answer to all these questions. There's a great book. It's called Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ. It's written by a guy named Andrew David Nacelli and J.D. Crowley. If you want a picture of it later, I'll send it to you. We can even send it out in an email. But it's an amazing book that talks about, from a biblical point of view, what your conscience is. So in a nutshell, here's the reality. The New Testament uses this word conscience about 30 different times. So pretty much every human, pretty much, has a conscience. Now, you know, there, there are extenuating circumstances where not every single human has it, but 99.9% .9 of humans have a conscience. What is a conscience, Chris? Well, the way they define it, I think, is very good. It's essentially what that person believes is right or wrong. So your conscience, you've seen the little, the, the, the picture of the, the angel and the demon, right? It's this one over here is telling you to do this, and this one over here is telling you not to do that. That's kind of what your conscience is. It's, it's the voice inside, the going, ah, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. Now, some people go, oh, my conscience is the Holy Spirit. No, not true. And, and you can go through this book, and there's about 30 different references in Scripture, and he goes through all 30, and they unpack how the Holy Spirit is not your conscience. Your conscience is kind of this just inner voice that you have. But here's the, here's the difficult part as we kind of dive into the conscience. Where do you get your definition of right and wrong from? Right? If a conscience is just someone's inner voice telling them right and wrong, where do those rights and wrongs come from? Well, you can talk about life experience and we can get into psychology. Again, 10-minute sermon or 10-minute on this portion. I don't have time for that. But here's what I do have time for. What we need to know is when we are born again, when we are saved in Christ, we are made into new creations. And I think what sometimes happens is we believe in that moment, or at least we hold people to this standard. We may not hold ourselves to it, but we hold others to this standard, right? When someone is made new in Christ, they all of a sudden have a brand new conscience. And that is not true. Right? So I do believe when someone who is made in the image of God has a broken image and then all of a sudden is redeemed in Christ, meaning they, they went from being a, a sinner you know, who, who was fallen, had no recognition of God, they have a recognition of who Jesus is, they are saved, and then all of a sudden they are redeemed and reconciled to him. What they are now given is an understanding of wrong to a degree. And here's, what I'm, here's where I'm going. Our conscience changes over time. Have you ever asked the question, how could somebody do that? 
Well, it didn't start off with them doing whatever the bad action was, right? It started off with something small. It, it was innocent. I don't know how many of you know my story, but I, I've done a lot of drugs in my life, okay? Before Christ, I partied hard, a lot. You know what I didn't do? I didn't day one use the hardest drugs in the world. I didn't. It started off really small. It started off with oh, a party here, a thing there. And then Satan used these things to draw me in even deeper and deeper until one day I woke up and I'm going, who am I? What, what is this? And that is similar to our conscience, right? People, people don't just wake up one day and do the worst thing in the world. It was kind of led there. And so in Christ, we're given this new spirit and we all of a sudden have this new reconciliation. Our eyes are open. As Paul says, the scales have fallen from our eyes and our heart and we can now see our sins. We can see our brokenness and our depravity, but there's a process that happens. In Romans chapter 12, he talks about this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So, so get prepared to, to kind of be presented as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is your spiritual worship. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's what we need to know. This passage right here unpacks a couple of different things. First and foremost, we are not to be conformed by the world. Like we've been set free. We have freedom in Christ. We are to conform the world to us. Like we, we are to be passionate about the things of God and not let the things of this world be passionate about us and mold us and go, ooh, should we behave like that? Should we act like that? No, like stand up, have some confidence about yourself. Like you're, you're made new. You've been bought with a price. You, ha you, you are holy, adopted, chosen, redeemed in Jesus Christ. You matter. You have value. You have worth. No matter what this world says about you, you are someone. But then he doesn't stop there. He says what? You need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, getting in the word, understanding that your conscience, that right or wrong, what we should or shouldn't watch, needs to change. It needs to grow. It needs to be shaped by the image of God. A lot of times we think when we come in Christ, all of a sudden the will of God is just like, I don't know, like a banner in front of us. Have any of you experienced that it's not always like a banner? Like sometimes it's like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, what? And so what he's telling us, and they unpack in this book really well, is that our conscience, this side of heaven, will not be perfectly aligned with the will of God. Right? It won't be. Do you know why? Flesh. Fallen. You didn't get a new body when you became a new, new Christ follower, did you? Unfortunately, I didn't. You know. But here's what we were given. We were given a new spirit. We, we were given this ability to walk in line with him, and through the testing is what it says, right? We may discern the will of God. Through moving through life and going through experiences and going through heartbreak and going through all the struggles that we don't like, God makes us new. I heard this statement the other day. In order to see the blessings of God, we have to go through the battle of the enemy. Like when, when, we, when God is going to bless us, like it's on the way, do you know what the enemy often does? He brings a battle to your, to your side. He goes, you know what? I'm going to try to do everything I can to prevent this person to receiving the blessing of God. So how do we make 
our conscience fall in line with God's will as much as possible? And how do we discern what we should and shouldn't watch, or what we should and shouldn't listen to, what we should and shouldn't do on a screen? Well, I think, number one, you got to be connected to God. Like, prayer, in his word, meditation. Number two, connected to people. What does Jesus say? Love God, love people. So, if I'm loving God, but I'm alone, I don't have any people speaking into my life saying, you know what, hey, what you're doing over there is wrong. It's not, it's not good. But when I have people who also love God speaking into my life, I have the voice of God who, I don't know if you know this, but we can, we can kind of turn his signal down. That's why we fast, so that we can turn his signal up. Because we can kind of go, you know what, God, I'm going to ignore you for now. But when we mute and we meditate and we fast and we spend time on his word and on him, all of a sudden that what seemed like a still small voice becomes a loud scream. And it is a banner of this is who God is. And then when we get around the people of God who are doing the same thing, they're humbling themselves, they're going before the Lord, it becomes an echo of his will in our hearts. And we go, you know what, maybe there's a stronghold here that needs to be broken. Maybe there's things in my life that I need to give up. So how do we determine what do we do? We get into his word, we get with the people of God, we pray. And here's the reality. For some of us in this room, there will be things that you should, or shouldn't I should say, watch. Because it's a stumble and it's a stronghold for you. But there are others in this room that can watch the same thing and it would never do that to them. So this is a nuance and this is difficult. And I was very hesitant to talk about this because if we're not careful, if we're not mature Christ followers and really dive into this, we go, well, it didn't really convict me. And we could ignore what's actually going on in our hearts. It's because the more I watch something, the more I be, you know, it's just like playing the guitar. I was telling the guys this morning, I don't play the guitar enough. Really, the only time I play the guitar is when you see this. Maybe a little bit of practice. Maybe sometimes. Um, and so what happens is my fingers hurt. I don't know if you ever played the guitar. It's violence, right? To these fingers right here, it hurts. And so I, I wish I could just keep my calluses, but here's the thing. If I played more, I would have more calluses because I play less. I don't have enough calluses, so it hurts. And it's the same thing. When we indulge in the content that hurts, the more we watch it, the less it hurts. The more, the more we, we dive into things that are not of God, the, the more we're drawn away from him. And so the reality is that there, there are some in this room that pop culture and the world that screens reveal, it's too much for you. And you need to steer clear. And I can't say exactly what that is for you in your life. I can say this. John Piper just released an article about a year ago talking about screens. And if you don't know John Piper, he's a well-known pastor and theologian. And he said this, the, the, the closer I come to heaven, the more I am convinced there is never, never an excuse to view nudity on a screen. Right? There was, there was a day and age where, y'all remember Titanic? Anybody raise your hand? Come on, help me out. Here we go. So there's a scene in Titanic, right? In case you didn't know this, there's boobs right there, out. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that word in church, but, you know. And here's the deal. I don't know if you know this, but instead of giving the movie a rated R rating, they gave it a PG-13 because it was art. And it was tasteful. And uh, look, I, I guess we have, m you know, models and Greek statues and all this with, with naked people as well. But I, I think the reality is a screen is not the same thing as a piece of stone that we have chiseled out to look like our image. 
Because when we look at that screen, that's pretty real. I mean, it ain't 3D or 4D, but it's, it's real. And so if someone in the room is struggling with, with lust or, or temptation or even they have a, a past, you know, maybe it's been gone, but they had a past with pornography, and all of a sudden this scene comes up. It ain't just Leonardo sketching something. Like, it, it, it hits a trigger. There's something that happens in there. Maybe for, for others, it's, you know, you watch a scene from The Notebook, and you're longing for something in your heart, and you're not having that romantic love like this is doing, and you see that romantic love played on a screen, and what's-his-name is so cute, and he's just dreamy and all the things, and he cries, so he's even better of a man, right? And you know what you do? You begin to lust. Maybe not even necessarily strictly beginning with sexual lust, but it's just you're lusting after that person. You're lusting after that, that, the desire, that, that, that wanting, that feeling. And you're no longer content with what God's given you. You're no longer content with where you are. You need something else. So maybe for you, whatever struggle you have, you need to, you need to ask the question of like, is this too much? Now there are others in this world and in this room where screens can be a world where where we can, through Christ, plant eternal seeds that will draw men and women to Christ. I mean, by by being aware of pop culture, by by knowing what's going on in the world and listening to this song and watching this movie, like you can kind of be in tune with the streams of life. And then you take that, just like a couple weeks ago when I gave us one of those like potential things to, to talk about with our kids or with people around us when we go to watch a movie, what is it teaching us? Have, have that question like, what is the worldview? We can take this thing and we can go, you know what? How can I talk about this with somebody at work? How, how can I figure out where the world is going so that I can pray in a better way? Now look, I'm not saying that we should dismiss everything. You should go watch the world's worst movies and you should do all these because, hey, you know what? I can turn it into a gospel conversation. There are some things that are not redeemable, right? Like, there are some things in this world that we can watch that you can try to put your best gospel lenses on all you want, but here's the reality. It ain't for God, and it isn't for you if you're of God. And so we need to be careful. And so getting back to that question of should should we totally abstain or should we embrace, I I think we should look at the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 2. Jesus gives us an example. There's a conversation here. He says, As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Well, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came out to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now, Listen, people have used this passage incorrectly for years, right? I think I probably used it even when I was in high school, and this was technically before Christ for me, although I, I, didn't, I wasn't really aware of it necessarily. But I, I would, you know, my dad would talk about, you shouldn't hang out with those people. You shouldn't do this. And, ah, you know, I'm just ministering to them. I, I'm just, you know, it's okay. I'm just going to do this, right? You know, I think about that with, with the number of, of private Christian school kids we have, right? Like, we, when we hang outside of those, those realms, we could just look at our parents and go, hey, look, I'm just going to go minister to these other people over here. I'm going to go do this. The lost kids, you know, the bad kids at the private Christian school, even on our public school. Like, you're the Christian kid. You go to the FCA. You're great. You, you kneel at, you know, 50-yard line when you score a touchdown, whatever, right? And like, oh, you know, I'm going to go hang out with these guys. I'm going to go minister to them. 
You might not even use that word. No, I'm going to show them good. I'm going to show them what it's like to, you know, go to a party and not drink. Right? Yeah, I heard somebody laugh. That's right, right? Because bad company corrupts good morals. Like, that's scripture. Like, who you hang out with, you will become. And, and so what we need to see when, when we look at Jesus in this moment is did Jesus, now this is Jesus, son of God, like in flesh, incarnate, did he only ever hang out with the sinners and tax collectors? No. Actually, he mostly hung out with his people, the church, like his disciples, the people he had called to a higher standard, the men and women who have said, I'm going to follow you, Messiah. And then what did he do? He went out. And I think he did this to model to us. Like, who are your people that are speaking into your life, spurring you on to be a better Christ follower? And then so that when you go to that job, when you go to this place in the world, you have the strength and the courage and the boldness and the preparedness and the transformed mind and heart and conscience to go, this is right, this is wrong. And it's okay if they start a conversation at work and you go, yeah, I haven't watched that show. You know what you don't have to do every time, church? Yeah, I don't watch that show because I'm a Christian. Probably not a great pickup line, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I love Jesus, I can't watch that. That, I, I just don't think that's how we win people to Jesus. I think we can say, yeah, I just don't watch the show. Why not? Ah, I just don't, you know, I don't always love the content. I don't, you know, I don't love the language or this and the other. And he, okay, cool. Or maybe it goes further. And you know what it does? That leads you to a path to go, here's why. Here's why I don't like it. Because I've been made new and I've been called to be holy. And I want to lean into all the things that God has for me. And I've just found that that doesn't fill my tank. But that's not a first conversation. That's not the 30-second, I don't even know this person. That's the relationship conversation. So we need to be like Jesus where we, we hang out with our people, the church. It's kind of like we say all the time, what well, we gather to scatter. Your small groups, this church gathering, the people in your life, you gather with to lean into Christ, and then you scatter. Tony Ranke asked this question when we're, when we're talking about what things we should or shouldn't watch. He said, we must ask ourselves, what technologies serve my aims? What are my goals in the first place? Without clear answers here, we can make no progress in thinking through the pros and the cons. So when you're watching that TV show or that movie or you're listening to that song, what is the purpose of it for you? What effect will it have on your mind? What effect will it have about your thoughts about people? I, I used to listen to raunchy music in high school. And I can remember my, my dad saying, you know, what, what comes in will come out. And I'd argue till I was blue in the face. No, I don't, you know, I'm not going to use those words. I'm not going to talk like that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. You know what happened? My language started slipping, right? And even if I could catch myself in moments, it would be in my mind. Like, I, I got to be, look, let's just be transparent. I got to be careful what I watch as a pastor up here. Because I get in the moment, I get fired up. You know, if I've been watching something raunchy, you know what might happen in my mind? Might. Like, I, I, you know, I could drop a cuss word unintentionally. Y'all, well, that's a whole nother. We're not going to go there. We need to be mindful, and we need to be in control of our bodies. And so when we look at the conscience, the, the thing that God has given us to kind of help go right and wrong, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by leaning into the Holy Spirit, and going, here is what's right and wrong. And I need to be less judgmental 
of another brother or sister who maybe doesn't, has a differing conscience. Now, that doesn't mean I don't hold them accountable. It doesn't mean I can't ask the question, hey, you watch that. I mean, t- talk to me about that, right? It doesn't mean we have to only have a PureFlix account. If y'all don't know what PureFlix are, you should go Google it, by the way. It's the Christian Netflix. I've said it like four times right now. I'm just sitting here going, what if somebody doesn't know who that is? And they're like, he's just saying something odd. But that's a Christian Netflix. So the first thing to, to kind of answer the question of what should we shouldn't watch, we need to get our conscience in line and in step with what God has for us. The second thing is we need to ask the question, where does the road lead? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to kind of set this passage up. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth because they got a lot of struggles. They, they got a lot of things that aren't working well. And so in chapter 9, he talks about his apostolic calling and how he has the ability to, to kind of do all these different things and to get paid by the church for ministry. And, you know, he has freedom in Christ and, and all these different things that he has the freedom and the liberties to do, but yet he doesn't always do them, right? Sometimes he just kind of goes with, you know, getting a tent-making job or doing something else. He has freedom in Christ, and he has been set free just like everyone else that he's talking to has. But then he gets to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and he starts talking about the warning against idolatry and what we should take in and what we should consume. And he gets to this famous passage we've all heard, right? The, The do all things to the glory of God. Verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So we get to this place where he's talking about in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whether you do whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. What's happening in this passage in, in chapter 10 is he gives two circumstances. He talks about this one guy who shows up at a dinner and there's been, sacrif- there's been the meat that has been sacrificed to idols, but he's now been served this meat. Now, typically, a good Jew would go, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. But what does Paul say? You're free. Eat it. Who cares? But then the other situation he, he lays out is, what if the brother or sister looks at you and goes, are you really going to eat that? And he goes, you know what? Maybe in that moment you shouldn't eat it. Not because there's anything wrong with the meat, but because by you eating it, you could cause that brother or sister to stumble. So this whole passage in 1 Corinthians 10 is talking about when we do things, when we consume content on our screens, we need to ask the question, where does the road lead us? Does it lead us to glorifying and uplifting God, like he says in verse 31, do all things to his glory. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Or is it self-service? Is it for us? Is it for us to be entertained, in the words of Gladiator? Some of you are going, that's an inappropriate movie. Why did he say that? But here's here's the deal. We need to ask the question, because it all comes back to the main thing every single time in church what's the right answer in Sunday school Jesus every single time and so when we're we're going hey what what should I shouldn't watch I don't want to tell you that's the wrong question because I do think it's a valid question I think it's a question your kids are going to ask it's a question that you should be asking what should or shouldn't I watch or listen to is this podcast too much is this movie too much I, I think my answer is I can't answer that for you I think the Holy Spirit can. 
I think God can move your heart in such a way that it's very clear that you should or shouldn't watch this. I always like to ask the question, like, would you be cool with watching that with your mom? Like, I remember when I was, like, 16 or 17, like, a radar movie would come on. and be like, I'm not watching this movie with my mom. Like, there's, there's no chance. Titanic comes on, I'm going to the bathroom, right? Like, that scene is awkward with your mom in the room. Would you watch that with your friend? Would you watch it with your pastor? I mean, I, I try to answer the question for myself, like, is whatever I'm doing right now, if it was completely public, would I be good with it? I mean, really, I mean, isn't that what integrity is? Doing the right thing when nobody else is watching? Having biblical Christian integrity. Know that he's always watching, but see, it's like that voice, right? We, we turn him off. And sometimes we care more about what each other think. And so sometimes you need to use that as an accountability partner for you to go, if Austin Abbott was watching me do this right now, would that be okay? If Andy Miller was watching me do this right now, would that be okay? Sometimes that's what we need to ask ourselves. So as we close out this, this week four, this screen series, we point everything to Jesus. Sometimes we need to take a step back and go, well, what can we watch? What, what, can, what can't we watch? What should we watch? What shouldn't we watch? The answer sometimes lies in your conscience, and there's, there's some individual wiggle room there. But that doesn't give you the liberty to go on sinning, is what Paul says. It should give us the liberty to lean in and trust Jesus for all that we have. As the band comes up and I close, I want us to lean in to this Christmas season. And I want us to, to really focus in on what God has had and called for us to do. And he's called us to worship him and to give him all the glory and all the honor. So as we move out of screens, we move into the Christmas season. Are you ready for the next several weeks to be a people of God who are willing to point people back to him rather than all the busyness of Christmas and all the things? Are you willing to host a Hallmark Christmas movie party? Not for the sole purpose of just the viewing, but maybe... Maybe, just maybe, you can use that screen, that moment, to teach somebody the gospel. Maybe you're in the room and you're going, I need to be taught the gospel. I, I need to be developed to be, to be discipled. I, I don't know what all the rights and wrongs and all the things are to be. And my encouragement to you would be to find those people, to find that community, to get connected. Find a seat at the table here. Come to the staff or the leaders and go, hey, I don't have anybody in my life who's speaking biblical, godly things into my life. We'll find you some. We'll be that for you. Be that for me. Be the people of God who, when we come into this room, like this living room setup that we set up this morning, who can seriously just lean back and trust in him. So whether that's the screens we're watching, whether it's the things we're listening to, find a way to do everything to the glory of God this Christmas season and for the years to come. Let's lean back and trust in him.